Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to Season 3 of Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit. Leadership belongs to all of us. It's not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. You know, I often talk about serendipitous moments or when we have those aha moments or you feel that gut feeling, which to me is the physical body giving you that brain, heart, stomach alignment. And I was really touched when this gentleman wanted to be on the show because it brought me back to my roots and where I started. So we are heading back down under from Canada today, 10,000 miles away, back to Australia. And I'd like to welcome Mark Ashby to the show. Oh, thanks, uh, Deborah. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Mark, I, it's just the accent. It gets me every time. Every time. <laughs> Your story is phenomenal. And, and I shared with you before we, we hit record that I was really honored that you wanted to be on the show. Would you share with our listeners who are humbly listening from 65 countries, give us a little bit of your story because I know I could, I could articulate it well and it would sound great, but it's going to have a lot more, a lot more meaning and heart coming from you. So please share. Uh, essentially, I, I, was, I grew up in Sydney my whole life. Um, and I grew up in a real surfing environment where I grew up at the beach as a, from, I think I was from the time of four or five years of age, I was, I was surfing with my father and, uh, it was, it's absolute. That, that lifestyle here that you live and breathe it. And I think for me to go into the military, it was such a, uh, a different thing amongst my family and my friends because it's not what sort of really happened where I come from. You know, I was actually a, co- a competition surfer. I was surfing competitions all around Australia, a little bit even overseas. Um, and that was sort of my big love in life. So, But I always had this other fascination with the military. And that was my sort of dream. Uh, it was a bit of a hidden dream, so I, I took that on. And um, I, I wanted to get into there's a unit in Australia that's got a very, very famous name. It's, an, it's a, a parachute unit that uh, has a lot of history, a, a very elite unit. And I was lucky enough to, to get into that unit and, and spend my time there. Um, from there, I, I did a couple of uh, tours of East Timor on uh, operations. And then I had a, a call that changed my life that I was approached to go to the Middle East uh, into Iraq as a private contractor. And it was something that had never really happened in history, what was what was going down over there. And none of us really knew what we were getting ourselves into. Um, there was a bunch of, uh, myself and a bunch of Australians that went over there. One of the first plane loads of, of, of guys when the war first started. And uh, to say it, it was life-changing, it was an absolute understatement. It was just, uh, it was a, a crazy environment. You probably can't explain to anybody what it was actually like on the ground there um, when we first I think I got there in October um, 2004, and it was just unbelievable. It was everything what you think uh, war is, I suppose, the absolute, absolute machine of, of war, uh, what's going on there every day, the, the noises and the smells and, and the atmosphere and, and, of course, the danger. Um, and it was the danger was around the corner at every every moment. It was a, It was a real moment of understanding, I suppose, uh, who you are in life. 
and and where you come from. And I think once you've, unless you've been in that environment, it's a bit hard to understand uh, the pressures that come with it, the expectation, especially for myself, running teams over there and the expectation of from above and also your own teammates that you're in charge of, you know, having those those people's, uh, we call them souls over there. You've got those souls underneath you that is your massive responsibility every single mission that you go out in. So I ended up spending um, 11 years in total in Iraq. Uh, I think conducting in that time around about 1,600 missions, more time than World War One and World War Two combined, um, which was unbelievable. It's And I was attached to the US military, did a little bit of stuff for the US government, and then I was attached to the Australian um, embassy for four years as well, looking after our ambassador and, and visiting politicians and such. Um, I survived it, which was, which was you know, always the game, and, and to get myself and my teammates home, which was, uh, you know, an amazing um, experience. And uh, I returned back to Australia 2015 Christmas, um, to finally have a Christmas at home. <laughs> I missed it in a lot of those. And I uh, ended up working in uh, corporate through a friend of mine and working a little bit with the government and decided to go back to university at 48 years of age and did my master's degree, which was pretty terrifying, to be honest. But a great experience, and I'm, I'm so glad that I did it now. And then decided to go on my own. Um, you know, had some great advice and great people around me that gave me a massive encouragement. Uh, you know, my lovely partner also encouraged me to go on my own, and and a few business people, and uh, and the rest is history. And here we are, and and uh, and I'm just so happy I get to now tell my story and 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 help people with all my years of experience. And that's where we're at right now. Well, and I, and I started the show by saying it's a serendipitous moment. So the first thing I have to say is Manly Beach is absolutely serene and beautiful. So when, when you talk about, you know, growing up in Sydney and surfing on the beach, you brought me right back there. So beautiful. And I started my business working with the Australian Department of Defense here in Canada. So I love that there's these moments throughout our lives that can be decades later and we landed up being anchoring back and having alignment with someone. And that's how I feel about you today. So I'm going to ask you some leadership questions because I just, I look at what you've done and what you're doing now. And I mean, we could do a whole day show on this, but my first question is, as you reflect and you decided to go out on your own, what is the one transferable skill that you think is the most strength or the most powerful that you're bringing now to your leadership toolkit? I think a real key one for me is that ability to, uh, that, I, that I love bringing over, is that ability to really sort of slow time down a little bit. Uh, we have we have an old saying in the military, you may have heard of it, it's, a, it's called slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And it's that it's that ability when, when times are really tough or the pressure's extremely high, that you can actually take a moment and, and actually slow time down a little bit and really try and make a calculated decision rather than a really rushed one where you might you may make a mistake. And for me, I find that the more stressful situations get, the better the better that I operate, the better that I actually become, whether that's in in business or even situations in life, uh, be it, you know, if you come across uh, maybe something like a car accident, um, you, you tend to really take it all in, what's going on around you, and, and then make your decisions and act on that decision but not to rush in and just make one because you have to make one in, the, in a split second. That's sort of something I think that I can bring over. So to me, that's the definition of equanimity. You, you've you mastered 
and honed because of, of what you've been exposed to even before the military. And the military really honed it and locked it in for you. So you can be catapulted in. Even corporately, we can be. Not parachuted, catapulted in. <laughs> and it's an exemplary skill of listening. It's an exemplary, exemplary level of attentiveness. And it's a, an ability to regulate emotion to have that mental calmness. And there's a lot of people that can't do that. So that's why I had a feeling that was going to be one of your top skills that you brought over. And, and certainly you had all that time to hone it because unfortunately being in the work you were doing in the military and, and not seeing peace and never knowing what was around the corner for you. So that's that's brilliant, Mark. And I think of all the corporate people that you're going to work with that need you and the real life experience that nobody can relate to, but the transferable skill that you're going to bring and help them hone, that's a win-win. That's amazing. Now, my second question is fun. Laughter is permitted. I'm going to remind you it's a 30-minute show. This question has permanent residency on the show because I love the name of our show. We're all imperfect. So what imperfections does Mark bring to his heart-centered leadership? Imperfections. Um, I, think I, I think underneath it all, and my, my lovely partner would say this, I'm probably a bit of a soft touch underneath. <laughs> and, and I think maybe people maybe perceive you as what you are. And when they meet me, it's uh, probably a little bit different. Um, and... I think I've probably been guilty in the past of that's probably my biggest weakness is a bit of a soft touch and, and giving maybe people too many chances where I actually should have clamped down a bit sooner. And I'm, I'm getting better at it. But uh, that's probably my my biggest my biggest uh, fault. And I just, I want to add to that because I'd like you to expand a little bit on it. Do you think it's it's a rush of judgment or do you think it's an extension of you putting a boundary in place? So this is what I love about the show. You see it as an imperfection, but it's a skill that you're honing as you work and progress to be a better leader every day. What are some of the the strategies that you're doing to work on that? Yeah, look, I, I think my, myself, the, the biggest thing is that I've always had that massive care for my, whenever I've had my actual teammates that have been underneath me, if you want to call it, and I've always had that massive care for that individual. Even even more so than myself in some situations overseas, well, I really did put my own, I suppose, safety and well-being as front and centre as, as it was so important for me to get those uh, those you know team members of mine home safely. Because you maybe you know their families, you may know their children. You've known that some of the, I've known some of those those guys I was with for, for you know now for decades, and it's a massive sense of responsibility, and it's it's something that uh, I think it's something you can't lose. It's, it's a if you want to call it a, a skill, you want to call it a, an understanding, or you know, I don't even know what to frame it as, Deborah. But it's something that you, you just can't throw away. It's something's part of you, and I think a, a, for me, one of my great, I suppose, uh, achievements that I've had for all those years is that even now, after we've all come home, and it's now um, a good decade since we've all come back to uh, Australia, almost that, and and all these men that I work with from different parts of the world. I work with you know, Canadians and Americans and, and a lot of guys from the UK. We're all still in communication to this day. So I think I've done something right. Um, that we're all still real great mates and it's that skill set, I suppose, where you can 
juggle being their boss, but also being friends. And I think it's, a, it's not an easy one to do, as you would know, being in business, uh, where you sometimes you've got to put your foot down and, and you know actually have that hard conversation. But we're all still the, the best of friends and we will be for life. And I think that's one of my biggest achievements that I absolutely love. Well, my definition of heart-centered leadership, Mark, is honoring your connection with people. Full stop. It doesn't matter what your title, your stature, at the end of the day, we're all people. And when people are put first before profit or logistics or hierarchy, just like you explained, you've always honored the connection, which is why there's still a meaningful alignment there, which is beautiful. Now, my third question is, I asked you to think about three words that came to you when you think of leadership, given everything that you've packed into your toolkit to date. And you gave me these three phrases, be understanding, be adaptive, and be patient. And I'm sure the foundation of these came from that developed equanimity of being in the military and seeing all that you saw, which I know wasn't always wonderful. How do you think you can easily shift that into the corporate world? Share share some nuggets of wisdom of what you want to do or what you've done so far. And it's not easy to get C-suite leaders to be understanding, adaptive, and patient. So share a little nugget with our listeners. Yeah, that's that's the uh, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? And, and it's it's whether you can get uh, somebody who is you know the easy the easiest part is when you have somebody who who wants to buy into it from the get go. They're the easy ones because you straight away you have your 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 own skill set and you can transfer that over to those individuals, which I love doing. Then you get the ones that are going to be a little bit more, you know, the word maybe prickly, and they may have the, their their walls up a little bit. But I think that's the skill that I've developed over the years, Deborah, where I can really um, resonate with people quite well, especially with leaders. I've worked with many uh, high-caliber leaders for many, many years, um, some of them that have actually run, you know, run countries, and I've worked side by side with them. So I understand what it takes to be that tip of the spear in leadership. We're all, we're all human. Um, we've all got our fallacies, and I've seen it from the, at the highest level of, of, of government politicians. And I know we all have our little insecurities, what we do, and... Once you've got that, that that couple of layers peeled back from that individual and you have that little bit of an end, that's where you can then really dive in and strip it back to what's going on. Sometimes there may be a problem with somebody's personal life and I quite often find that maybe they're going through a, a bad divorce or something you know personal in their own life and that's then being transferred over into their, into their professional life and that washes them down through the whole corporation. Um, and once you pinpoint that, the, the rest, it starts becoming a lot easier. And once I have that buy-in of that person, I love it because you know you've, you've, you've got that, that, that center then that you can work from. And it's a, it's, it's a great feeling. But you're going to get the occasional one that's difficult to, um, to, to unravel. But I love getting them out of their environment. I'll get them out of that office environment and we'll go into a totally different location, whether it's down the harbor or something, we'll go for a coffee down there, go for a, a bit of a stroll and a bit of a chat and really break down who they are and, and try and re- remind them of where they've come from, you know, try and find out, you know, what, how happy were you at the beginning of your own process and, and compared to where you're at now and how do we rediscover that? How do we actually re refine who you are? Well, and I think now that we're on the other side of the pandemic, and I, I hope that that is going to stay that way, it's, you made such a valid point. We have to get them out of their environment and we're returning to that, but we had a few years of where that wasn't possible. Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, 
everybody has a story. And I'm often asked, are we going to do some life coaching when we do executive coaching? And I have the same adage as you. Life shows up in our work and work shows up in our life. And, you know, when we can just lean in to talk about it and lower those walls of resistance, it's it's when you get to that sacred space and then you can really have a good conversation. So I absolutely love that. Now, my last question, you were a little bit humble when you talked about your master's degree. So I'm going to let our listeners know, you did your master's degree in counterterrorism and graduated with distinction, by the way. Congratulations. How did you do your master's? Did you do a thesis? Did you choose to do a research project? And I understand why you chose counterterrorism with, with, you know, distinction, which is wonderful, by the way. That experience in the military obviously drew you to pursue a graduate degree. So, Share with us the the decision and the link. And did you do a thesis or a research project? What kind of spoke to you at 48 years old? Young, I should say. 48 years young. The idea came by by a very good friend of mine who's in corporate. And he's also ex-military. He's done very, very well for himself in in the whole cyber area. And I I spoke to the university. I'd never been to university. Um, I had no undergraduate. And... uh, I left school you know, at, at year 10. I was a tradesman when I was young you know, in the electrical field. So the whole thought of going to university was something that probably terrified me. Probably the first time I've been out of my comfort zone. And I, I went and had an interview with the, uh, one of the big universities in Sydney here. And they had the counterterrorism department, of course, um, some amazing people working there. And uh, I had an interview with three of the professors there. And they basically said to me, yeah, look, the, the, the bad news is you're not doing an undergrad. And I was like, okay, what's next? And the good news is we're, we're parachuting straight into a master's degree, which on, I'll be honest with you, I was just like so excited, but I was terrified in the same sentence. Um, and I still remember my first, my first day there and one of the professors that interviewed me was my lecturer and him and I are very good friends now. And uh, he was laughing at me because you could see how panicked I was. And but once I, I started to understand the process, Deborah, understanding all the templates and how everything's online now, the libraries and then I came into my own because the area that I was learning, to be honest with you, a lot of it, it, it it's my backbone and it's what I know. So I can, you know, my understanding of a lot of those uh, units uh, is probably far superior than a lot of the, the actual lecturers there. I was just going to say, they probably learned so much from you and, and probably had a level of excitement that they had to contain till they got to know you a little bit to see what you were going to submit because the richness of your writing and submission, you lived it. Yeah, that's right. You live and breathe it. And you can, you have to be careful. You don't want to be there and, and correcting people when they're wrong. And I've, I learned that very quickly to zip it sometimes, even if you, you know something is not correct because you've, you may be, they may be talking about something, an area of, of that, of your work over there. And you think, oh, well, I lived, the, I lived in that area for three or four years. So I, I know it like the back of my hand. But it was a great experience and I, I did a, I went outside of my zone a bit, did, did a few uh, cyber security units as well. So I did, just didn't do counterterrorism. I uh, did a geopolitics unit as well, which was fantastic. Uh, a couple of intelligence units to get to get my master's. And I was, I was asked to do a, like a kind of research uh, subject. They called it a, a supervised unit where you work one-on-one with a professor and you do, uh, it's almost like a 10,000 word, like a mini thesis. And they gave me a bit of free reign with that. So I did it on... Um, a big, uh, they have these giant militias in our in Iraq that are that are actually run by the Iranians, 
and it's like a proxy environment. So you've got the Iranian mili uh, military that run these gigantic Iraqi militias because they're both Shia, the same religion, and it's against the Sunni. So that's how how it works against uh, Al Qaeda at the time, and then then ISIS later on. And I lived I lived in that area around all those giant militias for, for many many years. I understand it very well, and I did a uh, yeah. So they they gave me gave me some great free reign as well to be able to really bring a lot of my own research into that, um, which was it's kind of hard to to do it in a cookie cutter approach because you've you've been there for so many years. You actually really want to bring it almost like a story into your into your thesis. So they gave me a little bit of a, a bit of room to move with that, which was fantastic. And then to finish my whole masters with with, with a um, a distinction average was I never would have imagined that when I first started, and I was so thrilled. In the end, I just kept getting better and better and better. And then uh, to, to cap it off, I, I was asked at my graduation to to be the graduate speaker in you know front of a thousand people, which was was very very humbling and another absolutely great experience that I've got for the rest of my life to be asked to do that as well. Well, it's going to land on someone's heart who might be considering maybe they're too old to do this or maybe they're too old to go back to school. And I love that you didn't pursue past grade 10 and you went past an undergraduate. You lived it in practical application and then finished with a graduate degree. That's a beautiful story. That's a heartfelt story. So I'm going to switch to my Fab Four so our listeners can get to know a little bit about Mark. If we asked your friends or family to describe you in one word, what would that word be? Resilient. Resilient. I thought you were going to say loving because you told us you were a softie. So you're, you're, <laughs> you're, a soft, you're soft and resilient. I love it. What is a book that you've read in your life at any juncture, any age, that was really impactful? And what's the title and who's the author? I read a book years ago. It's called Bravo to Zero. And anybody from a military sense would understand this book. Uh, by, uh, it's a British SAS chap that wrote this book that was uh, captured um, in the first Gulf War, him and his team in Iraq. And they, it's a true story. And, and some of them got out alive and some of them didn't. So that was quite inspirational very early on before I joined the military. And that was like, this is the sort of stuff I want to do. And and I think that I can do this sort of stuff that he's done and do really well on it. So that was a really inspirational yeah, yeah, book at the time. I know. And he, he, the author's name was uh, a Andy McNabb. Andy McNabb. That's a great book. Yeah, great, great, great book. Can't, can't put it down. Great book. Okay, third question. I'm granting you a wish. And you get to have dinner with a leader. And I'll provide some context. The leader can be living or maybe they've passed away. Who are you having dinner with and what is the dinner conversation? Maybe a little bit of a controversial one. Um, there was a, a and you, you've probably heard of this man. His uh, name was General Rommel and he was he was a German general and uh, obviously the enemy. But amongst his, his own peers, he was very, very respected. And he's a man that I would have loved to have, have met and to, to pick his brain a bit and his thoughts and, and his... Even the way he spoke about the enemy, which was, of course, us, uh, in, in great you know, reverence and respect as well. So he's probably a man that I would have loved to have, uh, yeah, a pretty, a pretty incredible man in history. So before we close out the show, I want to say I am very thankful and respectful for the time difference between Canada and Australia. So thank you for getting up early to speak to me. 
And I always think it's fun when somebody's a day ahead. I always joke with all my Australian friends and say, how does, how does tomorrow look? And they're like, yeah, de- yeah, yeah, Deb, <laughs> it's looking good. So it's always a little bit fun. You get New Year's Eve before all of us. So lots of fun, but it's really exciting for me as uh, a fellow colleague in the heart-centered space to see the transformational work you're doing, especially going from the front lines, Mark, and now into private corporate. And I just, as I keep interviewing heart-centered leaders around the globe, it just, it makes my heart smile that there's more of us in this space. So just continued success and glad we connected And I'm going to ask you to finish the show by finishing this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? Like turning up every day and uh, being the best version of yourself. You know, the best version of yourself for, you know, and also for your people. You've got to be that person for, for your people every day. You want to inspire them. Thanks for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed the show today and learned some new tools for your leadership from our amazing Heart-Centered guest. And if you like the show, we would welcome a rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And we would love to have any comments or feedback at any time. And if you want some more heart-centered goodness, head over to our daily blog, masteringtheheart.com.